0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them please and open them to the Psalms? Psalm chapter 11, Psalm chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the first three verses of Psalm chapter 11. I hope you got a bulletin as you came in this morning that will help you to keep up with the message, which is entitled, When the Foundations Crumble. Psalm chapter 11, beginning with verse one. In the Lord I take refuge How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked would bend his nob or has bent the bow. They make ready their arrows upon the string to shoot in the darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now we don't know what kind of trouble David was in when he wrote this psalm. But it must have been a very difficult time for him because it is described in these verses of Scripture that the wicked who was standing in the shadow had actually armed themselves with bows and arrows and were aiming those arrows at his very heart. I don't know who it was that was speaking to him who gave him the advice it would be a good time for you to leave town. You need to flee like a bird to the mountains. And David's response was, Why should I flee? To the mountains. If I'm going to flee to someone or to something, it's going to be to the Lord. Because it is in the Lord that I've put my trust, and it is in the Lord that I have my hope. I don't know um, uh, exactly as I said what the trouble was, but it was difficult for him. And I think that as these verses would have applied to David, that they are also verses of Scripture that apply to us today. Because as a nation, we are in trouble. And we have been for quite some time, and it seems that we are continually going down the path of destruction. And more and more every day, we see decisions that are made that are causing the very foundation upon which our nation was built to crumble more and more and more. We are witnessing an all-out assault to remove the foundations upon which this country was built. In 1787, a man named Edward Gibbon wrote a book called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. For 20 years, he studied the Roman Empire, trying to find out how could a nation as powerful and as strong as the Roman Empire suddenly collapse? How could that happen? It's hard not to think of our country when we read the five reasons that he came up with. The first reason he said the Roman Empire fell was because of the rapid increase of divorce and the destruction of the family unit. The second reason was higher and higher taxes, the spending of money for bread and celebration, circuses as they were called in those days. I remember in Ireland last week, uh, we passed a group of people who were protesting the fact that not only were they paying water bills, but now they were being taxed for the very water that they had bought and were drinking. The third reason is the mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming every year more exciting and more brutal and more immoral The fourth reason was the building of gigantic armaments, the building up of the military when the real enemy was within. Roman fell not because of outside enemies but because of the inside corruption that they had. And the fifth reason he gave was the decline of religion. Faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life and become impotent to guide it. Reminds me again of the scriptures in the Proverbs. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin and reproach to any people. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Paul wrote, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man shall sow, so shall he also reap. What applies to an individual also applies to a nation. So this morning, the Lord willing, with the aid and direction of the Holy Spirit, I wanna focus on two major ideas that's printed for you on your outline. First, why is America crumbling? And what should we do as Christians? So first of all, why is America crumbling? The word crumble, according to the dictionary, means to break into small fragments or particles, to disintegrate into decay, to cause a collapse. A series of bad choices by governmental leaders have certainly weakened the underlining structure of America. In the last 50 years, there have been three major explosive decisions that have weakened the spiritual fraction of our nation so severely that our eventual implosion is going to happen. I believe America's days are numbered. What are those three explosions? Well, they are the, man, uh, the, the landmark decisions that have been made by the Supreme Court, the highest judicial body in our land. There are three that I mentioned for you. First of all, a nation begins to crumble and its foundations will crumble when it becomes illegal to mention God in the public square. In the case of Engel versus Vitale in 1962, the Supreme Court determined that students in New York could no longer recite a simple 22-word vocabulary prayer or voluntary prayer, excuse me. This is what the prayer said. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Although this prayer promoted no particular denomination, the Supreme Court declared that the prayer breached the constitutional wall of separation of church and state. And by the way, the separation of church and state is not mentioned in the Constitution at all. The term separation of church and state came from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association regarding the separation of church and state, preventing the establishment of a national church. It's not in the Constitution. Ironically, the United States began every session with a prayer, it really does, to this very day. They open every congressional meeting with prayer and it's recorded in the congressional record. The Engel versus Vitale case cascaded into a number of other decisions by the Supreme Court and it spread like wildfire. In 1963, the United States uh, Supreme Court upheld the argument of the atheist Madeline Murray O'Hara that it was unlawful for prayers to be spoken in in schools and Bible reading. Further decrees have revealed the depths of the overall influence of that decision, not just prayer being forbidden in public form, but. Displays of the crosses are forbidden. The Ten Commandments hanging in in the halls of public institutions are forbidden. The Bible is forbidden. Nativity plays are forbidden. You can't even say Merry Christmas in school anymore in some places. The very mention of the names God or Jesus in schools, strongly forbidden. More than that, anything even suggesting those names is forbidden. I remember back in 1956, I was a student in Pittsburgh High School in Pittsburgh, Texas, and the movie, The Ten Commandments, was released. Our school, our public school, bussed all of us students to the theater to watch The Ten Commandments. You'll never see that happen Again. Recently, 2015, an individual from Jacksonville came over here to Nacogdoches, threatened to file a lawsuit against our city government and city council because they chose to begin their meetings with prayer. And of course, you know all the struggle that went through that and thank God, our our council members stood up and took a stand and with legal help and advice, in essence, in my opinion, in summary said, told the man, go jump the creek. <laughs> it's our city council. It's our city. We're not violating any law. We do whatever we please. And if they chose, and they did, and thank God they did, and still continue to have their opening sessions begun with prayer. I commend them for that. Madeline Murrow is the figurehead of this decision because she led the cause. As an atheist, she filed her petition on the grounds of separation of church and state, invoking the Constitution's own words. The reward went to atheism. The Supreme Court agreed with her and threw God out of the public square. In 1963, a case of Abington School District v. Skimp, the court decided eight to one to outlaw the voluntary reading of a chapter out of the Bible every day at the beginning of the school day. Usually the court would cite legal precedences for its rulings, but in this case, the court chose to utilize expert testimony from a psychologist who claimed that reading the Bible without any comment would endanger a student's mental health. (laughs) If portions of the New Testament were read without explanation, they said they could be and had been psychologically harmful to the child. In 1980, case Stone versus Graham, the Supreme Court ruled that posting the Ten Commandments was unconstitutional. Their rationale if the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will induce the, cho- the school children to read, meditate upon, and perhaps venerate and obey those commandments. This is not a permissible state objective under the establishment cause, the First Amendment, they said. In a tragic irony, 17 years after the Supreme Court, Stone versus Graham ruling a dozen students at Heath High School in Paducah, Kentucky, gathered to pray before classes just as they had done every day. As they closed their prayer time, a 14-year-old freshman approached the prayer group and began shooting. Three students died, five others were seriously injured in the hallway of a Kentucky school where the Supreme Court had prohibited the words, thou shalt not kill. In June of 2002, the United States Courts of Appeal for the Ninth Circuit ruled that the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States of America cannot be recited in public schools because the phrase under God is a violation of the constitutional separation of church and state. In its ruling, the court said to recite the pledge is not to describe the United States. Instead, it is to swear allegiance to the one true God and therefore unconstitutional. The Bible says in the book of Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. You turn your back on God and God will turn his back on you. If a nation turns its back on God and rejects God and his laws and his principles and his precepts, God will turn his back on America or any other nation. Some say that the government should simply be neutral about spiritual things and not promote any one religion. But the idea of God, of religious neutrality, is a myth. Turning away from the true God always leads to a turning to false gods. Jesus said in the latter days, lawlessness would abound. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 3, that the spirit of antichrist is alive in the world today. Certainly, we see the spirit of rebellion. The dictionary identifies and defines anarchy as a state of lawlessness. The last book of, uh, the last uh, verse in the book of Joshua, excuse me, get it right, the last verse in the book of Judges records these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel, no national leadership. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. America has a lack of leadership within our government, and we are seeing anarchy on a national level never seen before in the history of our nation. The world has been turned upside down. Right and wrong are no longer absolute, but relative to man's own personal opinions. Every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. If I think it's right, then that makes it right. If you don't like the law, break it. If it makes you feel good, do it. As a result, we have civil chaos. There's little discipline in the government, little discipline in school, little discipline in the home, and little discipline in most individuals. And the alternative to discipline is mayhem. Mayhem. In 2 Chronicles 24, 20, the Bible says, then the spirit of God came upon Zechariah and he stood above the people and said to them, therefore God has said, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord? He has also forsaken you. When it becomes illegal to mention God in the public square, we are in trouble. The second reason I think that will chip away and undermine and destroy and cause the foundations of America to collapse is when a nation sanctions the killing of newborn children, of unborn children. We all know of the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973 that allowed for abortions to take place. We forget God's attitude toward children. God loves children. In fact, he said, let the little children come to me. In Matthew 18, he said, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greater in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and set him before them and said, truly, I say unto you, unless you become converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever receives one child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Those were the words of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, don't harm the children. God's love for children explains his burning anger against those in the Old Testament days who worshipped the pagan deity Moloch. In Jeremiah 32, it talks about God's distaste distaste and hatred for the God of Moloch and those who worshipped him. It says they built the high places of Baal. They are in the valley of Ben Hinnom to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Moloch. Do you know what the sacrifice and the worship of Moloch entailed? They built a bronze figure with a body of a man and the head of an ox. And they would take little children, infants, place them in that bronze statue, build a fire under it, and cook and kill the babies and as the babies would scream in horror for being roasted alive, they beat louder and louder on their drums to stuff out any sound of their crying. My God. And since 1973, we have murdered over 50 million unborn babies. I liked what Dr. Robert Jeffress, the pastor at First Baptist Dallas said the other day when I attended the senior adult conference in Marshall. He said, every time I hear a woman say, well, it's my right to choose. He says, you've never finished your sentence. It's your right to choose to murder your child. That's what abortion is. The abortion of an unborn child is murder. And we murder over a million unborn children every single year. Well, you say, it's it's just an embryo. I've been preaching the gospel for 54 years. I've been pastoring a church for 52. I have yet to hear a woman who was pregnant come to me or to her husband or to anybody else and say, guess what? I'm going to have an embryo. But I've heard many of them say, you know what? I'm going to have a baby. A baby. In my womb, there is a baby. When Jeremiah wrote his book by his name, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins by saying that God said, while you were still in the mother's womb, I knew you, I created you, and I called you to be a prophet. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, was announced to Gabriel, announced to her that she was going to be with child, she went to Elizabeth, her cousin, and when she walked in the door uh, and a greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, when I heard your voice, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That baby that leaped for joy in her womb came to be known as John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. And yet, still in his mother's womb, he was conscious and he knew who he was and he knew who was in Mary's womb too. So we murder our children. The Supreme Court even allows a teenager or a girl who's pregnant to get an abortion without even telling her parents. It's their right. In 2000, the case of Stenberg and Carhartt, the Supreme Court struck down a Nebraska law banning partial birth abortions because it did not contain a health exceptional clause. I don't have the expertise and the knowledge to explain what a partial birth abortion is, other than that they rip the child apart, suck out its brain, do all these other terrible things piece by piece. Killing and murdering a baby. During his run for the presidency in 2008, Barack Obama boasted, throughout my career, I have been a consistent and strong supporter of reproductive justice and have consistently had a 100% pro-choice ruling for Planned Parenthood. I'm for abortion, he said. When we kill and murder our unborn, we are under the judgment of God. The third is when a nation destroys the basic unity of society, the family. Back in 2003, in a case called Lawrence and Garner versus Texas, the Supreme Court made a landmark decision that said a a, a sodomite relationship Of A man and a man having sex was constitutionally protected. Or two women who were having sexual relationships with each other was constitutionally protected and therefore opened the door for all kinds of immoral things to be approved by our government. On Friday, June the 26th of 2015, the Supreme Court ruled five to four in a vote, the constitution guaranteeing the right to same-sex marriage. Through this ruling, five unelected justices have attempted to force their views of marriage on the entire nation. They had no right, no right or authority to redefine something they had nothing to do with to begin with. God is the originator of marriage. He brought it into existence. It's His idea, and He defined it as between one man and one woman. And in the act of the decision made by the Supreme Court, They have nullified the votes of 50 million of our citizens who sought to protect the sanctity of marriage. I did appreciate a little bit of what Chief Justice John Roberts said. The court is not a legislature, he wrote, where the same-sex marriage is a good idea, should be of no concern to us. Then why in the world did they have anything to do with it? If you're among the many Americans of whatever sexual orientation who favor the expanding same-sex marriage, by all means celebrate today's decisions, but do not celebrate the Constitution, it had nothing to do with it. That's his own words. United States Supreme Court Justices, Elena Kagan and Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have been excused. From even voted on the case because they had conducted same-sex marriage ceremonies prior to the decision. And according to their own code of law, they should have been disqualified and should have never been privileged to vote at all. Yet nothing has ever Said anything about it. In fact, President Obama himself endorsed same-sex marriage in May of 2012. And he declared that the Supreme Court ruling legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide is a victory for America. America should be very proud. I remind you, Mr. President, of Proverbs 16:18 that says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. When we were in Ireland in Dublin, they had just voted nationwide to approve same-sex marriages. The city was flooded with rainbow flags. And then the news came to me that after the decision by our Supreme Court was made, that the White House was lit up in rainbow colors. What a disgrace to the White House and to America. The Bible is very clear about homosexuality. Leviticus 18, 22 says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Folks, homosexuality is a sin. Always has been, and it always will be. And we answer not to the Supreme Court of the United States. We answer to the Supreme God of all gods and- King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Our supreme judge is God Almighty himself. And the Bible says, and I believe the Bible, I believe it's divinely inspired. I believe it from word to word. I believe in some copies, even the maps are inspired. Seriously though, it's God's word. And God says to him, homosexuality is an abomination. The word abomination means it's, it's repulsive. If God could be gag and vomit, that's what it means. It just, it just, it's terrible. A man should not lie in a sexual relationship with another man, it is an abomination unto God. A woman shall not lie with another woman as you would with a man. It's an abomination unto God. Do we have deaf ears and hardened hearts that we don't understand and accept God's word as to what it means to be a homosexual? It's a sin. Leviticus twenty thirteen. if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. In the book of Romans chapter one, three different times it says that God turned them over, God turned them over and God turned them over. Why? Because among other things, They gave up a natural sexual relationship between a man and a woman and exchanged it for sex between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And God gave them over to it. I think that's what God's doing to America. That when we allow such activity to take place, God says, okay. You want judgment? You've got judgment. Just have at it. Just make yourself sick with immorality and it will corrupt you to the very core. Good news, however, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. The word effeminate uh, is a Greek word that means a man would have a uh, the inclination and uh, the, uh, the appearance that uh, he has feminine... Um, Characteristics. Or a, a woman would tend to give the impression that she has a manly male characteristics. And so, consequently, now we've got in some places in America where if a child wakes up one morning and he's a boy, but you know, today I feel like being a girl, and he goes to school, he can go into a girl's restroom. Or a man, a boy, wake up some morning and think, you know, I feel like a, a girl today, so I, I can go into a girl's restaurant. Not just in school, but in public anywhere. Or a man like Bruce Jenner, I've always felt like I was. God made a mistake. I was born a man, but I'm really a woman. So I'm going to have a sex change operation. That's the word effeminate. That's what it means. Being feminine qualities. Some, uh, the NIV translation calls it male prostitutes. The uh, Good News translation says homosexual, sexual perverts. The NEB, the New English Bible says homosexual perversion. That's the way it translates effeminate, effeminate. In 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, we know that the law is good when used correctly for the law was not intended for people who do not know what's right. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious. The laws for people who are sexually immoral and, or who practice homosexuality or, or slave traders or liars or promise breakers or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teachings that come from the glorious God and good news entrusted to us by our Lord. So we have God's judgment. I believe we're already talking about, is God going to judge America? He already is, folks. We're in the, we're in the process and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Well, enough of the bloom and goom, I guess. Finally, my time is up, but bear with me for just another 30 minutes or so. (laughs) What's the answer? What what should we do? I, I believe, you know, I believe we're living in the last days. There are no outstanding prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled for Jesus to come. He could come before this sermon is over. He could come before this day is over. So we're not waiting on other things to be fulfilled for Jesus to show up and rapture us out of this world. But even if Jesus' return is still a thousand years away, you and I are certainly living in our last days. In 30, 40, or 50 years from now, most of us in this room will be dead. So for us, these are our last days. So how do we live in a culture where foundations are being destroyed? Do we flee like a bird into the mountains and run in fear because the ungodly are in authority and power? Uh, Or is there some other response that is more appropriate? And I believe according to Psalm 11, there is. The Psalmist said, I'm not running like a bird in fear to the mountains. (laughs) If I'm going to fly like a bird, it's going to be like an eagle. I'll mount up with wings as eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. My hope is in the Lord, he said. So there are seven things that quickly I want to run through and we will be through that we need to do because of what's happening and is happening in America. And the first one is be hopeful. Psalm 39 says, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. The word hope is used as confidence. My confidence and my trust is in you, Lord. You know, on every coin that you have in your pocket are stamped the words, In God we trust. So trusting the Lord is our motto. He is our only hope. I want you to take your hymn book. just want to show you one thing and turn to number 635. Hymn number 635. We all know the first stanza of the Star-Spangled Banner, our national anthem, but very few of us know that there's a second stanza. Listen to what the second stanza says. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven's rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. So our very anthem that we sing, expressing our allegiance, not just to the flag, but to the country in which we live and the freedom we enjoy, says it all is wrapped up in the fact that in God we have put our trust. There's plenty for us to be apprehensive about today. Terrorists are threats. We know even over this weekend how New York and in other places put up greater security because of the possible threat of terrorists blowing somebody up or killing somebody. The exploding national debt just deficit just continues to grow. We get deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. Our morals are continually corroding away. And what do we do? We Turn from the world and turn to God and put our trust in Him. Secondly, not only be hopeful, but be insightful. There's a verse of scripture found in 1 Chronicles 12, 32 that I read out of the New Living Translation. From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribes with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. So in the elections that's coming up, we need to look for people who have a commitment to the Lord. In my opinion, uh, people who understand the times that we are in and who seek God's help and wisdom and direction to lead us out of the trouble that we are in. To understand the times means that one has the knowledge of current events, trends, and needs that our people need, and they have it in their thoughts. I guess a best way to express it is that this is the essence of wisdom, to know what one ought to do no matter what the consequences. That's the kind of courage that we need in our leaders, to know what is right, and to do it and have the courage to do it. And our legislatures and all the people up there in, in, in Washington, D.C., as well as in our state and in our county, all over the world. We need people who know what is right and have the courage and the guts to stand up and say, we will do it this way. Amen. Have insight. So be hopeful, be insightful, be courageous. Be courageous. That's the third thing. 1 Corinthians 15 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable. Do you recall the story of the captain of an old oil tanker who one night saw a light dead ahead of his ship? He directed his signal man to flash a message to the other ship Change course 10 degrees south. The reply was quickly flashed back You change course 10 degrees north. The captain was somewhat annoyed and he sent a clarifying message. I am the captain. Change course 10 degrees south. Back came the reply I am an able seaman. Change course 10 degrees north. The captain, now infuriated, played his last card. I am a 240,000 ton tanker. Change course 10 degrees south. The final reply came back Change your course 10 degrees north. I'm a lighthouse. Compromise is the spirit of our age. After all, if, if there are no absolute truths, and that's what we're being told, there are no absolute truths. I want to ask a person, are you absolutely sure about that? So there are those who say there are no absolute truths that, that govern our world. Shouldn't we then just sit down and try to compromise and kind of give, it here and give in here and, and there in what we believe? Why not just sit down and and be willing to give up some of your convictions? And the reason why is because the apostle Paul says that those of us who are beacons of God's truth need to act like a lighthouse and that we cannot and we will not move. That's my thoughts about performing same-sex marriages. I believe the Bible. I believe God. God's called me to do this, but I cannot and I will not under any circumstance perform a same-sex marriage ceremony. Cannot, cannot. When I think about America and what we're going through, I think about Lot and how he went off into Sodom and Gomorrah. How in the world could he stand to live in that environment? When those angels came to Lot's house The sodomites, the homosexuals of Sodom and Gomorrah banged on Lot's door and said, let us have sexual relationships with these men. You know what Lot said? Don't bother them. I'll give you my daughters. Oh my God. I believe Ruth Graham, the late Ruth Graham was right. If God doesn't judge America, He needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. So be courageous. Number four, be proactive. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that means for us as Christians and as citizens that we become involved in the political process of our nation. You know, I've been told, I I haven't researched it myself, but by those who have, that had Christians in America voted in the presidential election, what, eight years ago, our country would have been moving in a different direction than it is today. And before you say amen, let me remind you that many of you in this room today, you may be registered to vote, but I ask you, did you? I'm told that we have enough of Christians in America today that we could turn the tide all of this if the people would just get out and vote. So be proactive. God is calling us to be a a strong church. We're built upon the the, the rock and and he said the gates of hell will not overpower it. So we don't need to hide behind closed doors and be afraid of what the homosexual agenda people are, are, are intending to do. We need to stand up for what we know is right. Then number five, be prayerful. He says, first of all, in 1 Timothy 2, I urge that, that prayers and be made on behalf of all men and kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. We need to pray for America, as our choir so wonderfully and beautifully sang. Number six, be salt and light. You're the salt of the earth, Jesus said. You're the light of the world. Now, salt does not prevent, uh, uh, to, uh, prevent meat from spoiling. You, you understand that. You say, well, we put salt on ham and all, all these times like your forefathers did and everything. Salt does not prevent decay. It postpones it, it postpones it. We may not be able to stop the direction and the judgment that's going to fall eventually on America, but we can postpone it. I don't know if you realize it or not, but every time we sing the Star-Spangled Banner, God doesn't get boost bumps. God has no nation. Only his people. So we're to be the salt and the light. We're to preserve and postpone the ultimate Uh, decay that's going to happen. Did you know that the time will come when America will no longer exist? That the Constitution of the United States will no longer exist. The Bible says the day will come when Antichrist will come into this world. And when Antichrist comes into the world, there'll no longer be any nations. There'll no longer be an America. America. And when there's not an America, there's not going to be a constitution. There's not going to be a Spain or an Africa or New Mexico or Canada or England or Europe or anything else. Because under the Antichrist, there's only one nation and he is in control. Better pray that the rapture take place. I plan to leave for the Lord to come. But until it does, I'm to be salt and light. Then number seven, be prepared for persecution. When we decide to engage in civil disobedience and defy human authority, we are going to be persecuted. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people will insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And finally, the attitude that Paul and Silas and the others had, Peter, he said, we must obey God rather than man. One final word, and I'm through. In the gospel, excuse me, in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 1, you find these words where Paul says to Timothy, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. The word that's translated terrible in 2 Timothy 3.1 is used in only one other place of the Bible. It's found in Matthew 8.28 when Jesus was in the area of Gadarene, to Gadara, there was two men in Gadara who were possessed by demons They were wild, uncontrollable men who lived among the tombs. The particular Greek word used to describe them is the same one in 2 Timothy 3.1. The last days will be fierce, violent, dangerous, and frightening. Here's another way of saying it. In the last days, savage times will come as men cast aside all moral restraints and society begins to disintegrate. What time is it? Paul says, knowing this, that's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near." Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. There's an old fable about a time when Satan was training three of his demonic apprentices. He asked the first one how he would try to deceive the people of the world and the demon responded, well, I'll just tell them there is no God. And Satan responded, well, everybody knows there is a God, so that won't work. He asked the second one, what would you do? And the the demon responded, well, I'll just tell them there's no hell. And he said, well, that won't work either because everybody believes in a hell. The third apprentice spoke up and said, "I'll I'll tell them there's no hurry. There's no hurry. Don't have to be in a rush. And Satan smiled and said, you will destroy millions. And that has been one of Satan's chief tactics. He wins multitudes by convincing them there is no hurry. There's plenty of time for you to think about God, plenty of time for you to come to Christ, plenty of time to be forgiven of your sins. But that's not true. Today is the only day you have. And it may be the only day that you'll ever have. There's never been a better time for you, if you've not come to Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, for you to do it now, today. The world looks at all the problems and says, is there any hope? For those of us who know Jesus Christ, there is an enormous amount of hope. I've read the back of the book and we win. If he comes today, we win. If he comes in 50 years from now, we still win. If he comes in 1,000 years from now, we still win. These are the greatest days to be alive, the greatest days in all of human history. Think of it, you and I could very well be the privileged generation to receive and return to see the return of Jesus Christ. If this is really the terminal generation, the smartest thing that you can do is to be prepared for his returning and you were prepared by trusting Christ as your Lord and as your savior. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? Years of time have come and gone since I first heard it told, how Jesus would come again someday. If back then it seemed so real, then I just can't help but feel how much closer his coming is today. Signs of the times are everywhere. There's a brand new feeling in the air. Keep your eyes upon the eastern sky, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. Wars and strifes on every hand and violence fills the land. Still some people doubt that he'll never come again, but the word of God is true. He'll redeem his chosen fruit, don't lose hope. Soon Jesus Christ will descend. Signs of the times are everywhere. There's a brand new feeling in the air. Keep your eyes upon the eastern sky. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. Thank you for your patience, knowing that we are weak and sinful. But we thank you for understanding us. Thank you that when we've repented of our sins, you've been more than gracious to forgive and to cleanse. And that goes not only for us as individuals, but for us as a nation. Oh, God, judge us, convict us. If your people who are called by your name will only turn from their sins and seek your face, call upon you and ask for forgiveness, you will hear and you will forgive and you will heal our land. And it all begins with us individually. First one and then a second and a third and then a hundredth and a millionth as we return to you. Oh God, have mercy on America. Bless now, Holy Spirit, this time of invitation. May your will be done for those who need to make decisions. Holy Spirit, bring conviction and guidance and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? Andre will lead us in the choir. You come if God's leading you to make a decision. (laughs)